It is said that misery loves company. And folks, I could use some company down in this misery. With that in mind, we are less than $40 away on the Orpheus Protocol Patreon from me dragging Quinn into this mess with me. So if you enjoy this content and would think it might be enriched by the presence of another victim, or I suppose if you just bear some form of antipathy towards them, I uh, can get them on here and we can suffer together. folks welcome to pros and cons episode two concerning riverdale the day before by Nicole ostow and we are who boy chapter three folks <laughs> holy shit i was looking forward to seeing what veronica would be like in this book and she does not disappoint it's more of like a sublime terror than disappointment i think uh this is just a fucking lot but it's not just Veronica, it's the manner in which some storytelling decisions are made or not made that really elevates the whole proceedings. We open with Veronica being woken up by her mother and being told that she must go do some shit because her dad, because business. And we, oh folks, we go on a journey with the order of information presented in the opening moments of this chapter. It's so wild. Veronica is awoken. The next thing is that she notices that her mom is perfectly coiffed and is wearing, in her words, a sensible Valentino flat. We then get dialogue uh, of Hermione addressing a character who has not been introduced nor described or even located in the scene. Who's Katie? I don't know. Do you? know who Katie is? Everyone seems okay with her being here? I mean, here's not the right word either, because again, not described or located in the scene, just addressed verbally. Anyway, this shared delusion of Hermione and Veronica's turns out to be Veronica's best friend since whenever, who slept over last night. Veronica checks her Cartier watch, remembering it was a gift from her dad, and complains internally about the early hour. And here's where things get strange. We learn now, after all this other shit, that Veronica's head is pounding and her mouth is cottony from the previous night's excesses. Apparently, we can handle multiple brand name references, noticing her mother's fashion accoutrement, and have a fun little mystery about who the fuck Katie is. Before Veronica even notices how she feels! I mean, okay, if anybody is gonna be like this, it's gonna be Veronica, but come on! She has a horrible hangover. And we go through so much crap before she remembers to tell us how she feels. It's so weird. The first thing you would experience upon awaking is like, oh god, my head. But no, 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 that's not what... We talk about the brands of clothing and accessories first. And, and the thing with Katie, who we don't describe 
or mention is there until someone's talking to her is like an enigma wrapped inside the larger enigma. It's, it's majestic. Veronica would like her friend Katie, who exists and is a real person and who has been here in this scene all along, to accompany her to whatever is coming next, some sort of social function. And Katie's teeth are white when she smiles, Veronica observes. And in her words, this is thanks to, and I quote, the finest orthodontia the Upper East Side had to offer. There are problems with this, folks. We've just barreled headlong into another wall of what the fuck. Because first off, orthodontia is an outdated term for orthodontics. It's not what it's called anymore. But I am absolutely burying the lead here. Straightening teeth, despite what Veronica seems to believe, does not cause them to become white. <sighs> okay. I have a confession to make. I I can't do this. Not the way that I have been. I am just going to tally up references and brand names and celebrity shit and discuss them in terms of page count and number. Concentration at the end of this chapter because I am one and a half pages into this chapter and I am already fucking exhausted. I, I realized on the third page of this chapter, like, oh, it can't be done. We'll be here all day talking about every reference. So... When there's something really important to talk about a specific reference, I will. But then I will just give you the tally, the totals, at the end, and beg your forgiveness. Apparently, Katie's going to a better party than the one that Veronica is going to. And rumor has it that Rihanna, clearly legally distinct from Barbadian singing sensation Robin Rihanna Fenty, may be making an appearance. While attempting to finagle some hangover recovery time before everyone has to leave, Veronica observes that Hiram Lodge loves a good negotiation. The only thing that's better is a good loophole. And goddamn, does Hiram Lodge love him some loopholes. So much so, in fact, as we learn from Veronica right now, that he literally named his yacht the S S loophole and you know what I've seen the show I've seen the folder literally labeled October surprise she says the boat's called the SS loophole and I fucking believe her this is going to kill me if there are weird noises in the background of this podcast it's not the literal sound of me losing my mind, although maybe it is. It could also be due to the fact that Purdue University has seen fit to uh, begin construction of a giant fuck-off building right across the street. Mere feet from my mailbox. So that's a good, fun thing for people who work in an audio medium to deal with. It's wonderful and it's great and I love it. Veronica waxes poetic about how sharing her cupcakes and such with Katie back in school due to Katie's mom's propensity for controlling her diet, made their friendship kismet. Her words, not mine. So the pattern of instantly believing destiny itself to be afoot when she enjoys the company of a girl her age, you know, like a friend or something, is prequeled 
here. This weird destiny talk with Betty early in season one uh, is is not presage, not foreshadowed here because this is a bullshit tie-in book. But it's like the writer would like us to buy into the canonicity and sort of consistency of this book by pushing things that we see character-wise early in the show back into this, which is, it's it's fine. It's fine. But I, I, I like that the specific thing we choose to reflect here is this unbelievably narrow and specific thing of like, I think that it's destiny for me to be friends with my friends. Very interesting choices being made. She then goes on to rhapsodize about how good the Lodge's 4th of July parties are, and mentions that their mansion in the Hamptons is known as Lodge Hampton. It's one word. Lodge Hampton. Lodge Hampton. She wallows around in how rich her family is for roughly a zillion years. This was exhausting. And discusses her incredibly cushy summer job at Vogue. Hermione breaks off this stream of consciousness, conspicuous consumption orgy, finally, by speaking. And it still isn't over with this information order stuff. Because, by the way, folks... Hermione and Veronica and Imaginary Katie are on the SS loophole. They are on board the boat right now, this very second. I realize now, going back, that she did in fact refer to her room as a cabin right at the very beginning of this chapter. But there hasn't since been a single other thing to suggest that a boat was happening. No motion, no other specific nouns. Just that a room was called a cabin. And I just glossed over it, I guess. And there was... Oh my god. They're on a boat. They're on the boat. The SS loophole. And so, how, 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 how long do you think it was between the word cabin, which was my only fucking clue about this, and the phrase that starts with, we were stretched out on the rear deck? Did you guess six and a half pages? Good! That's how many... We have literally one word that maybe even, like, kind of accidentally establishes that they're on a boat. And nothing. Nothing but, like, internal monologue about the plutocracy. (laughs) For six and a half pages, and then, oh yeah, we're on a boat. Anyway, what Hermione wanted to discuss with her daughter is a reminder to Veronica that family is so fucking important. So, you know, good. The writer watched Riverdale, I guess. Veronica just sort of apropos of nothing says, oh, I'm so happy that we have all these things. And Hermione's like, but you must remember, we have nothing without... And Veronica jumps in and they say the word family in unison. It's it's like the, this book knows how overdone that like family loyalty business is everyone gather around hear ye hear ye i would like to introduce a very important segment for the rest of this podcast i would like to introduce the verona counter this is going to be a little discussion we put at the end of chapters narrated by veronica where i talk about how long the chapter is 
how many celebrity name drops there are, and how many brand names are used. This Chapter 3 of Riverdale the Day Before by Michael Ostow is roughly nine pages long. Perhaps nine pages and a sentence. A short sentence. There are six, count them six, celebrity name drops over the course of nine pages. But don't worry if that sounds crowded, because there are only 19 brand names! There are 25 combined brand name and celebrity name drops over the course of nine pages. It's just relentless. They really... Here's the thing. They did maintain the distinction between Veronica and the other characters. When I was concerned that Betty was Veronica and Jughead was Veronica, they just made Veronica more Veronica so that the distance between them is the same. God help me. Chapter 4. Archie. We get an Archie chapter now. He is pondering how different his life might be if he had gone with his mom when she left. And he remembers a day earlier in the summer because, you know, present day is just literally the day before the fucking Riverdale show. And reflects on a scene of him helping his dad clean out the garage. Fred seems to be a bit of a compulsive keeper, though not to the hoarding level. And Archie takes the initiative and, and starts making a pile of stuff that they ought to donate to the Salvation Army. This, my dear friends, is fucking preposterous. Fred Andrews, as anyone familiar with the Riverdale show ought to know, is a paragon of good and a pillar of the community. He would absolutely donate his stuff through a different organization that doesn't discriminate against LGBTQ people and make political maneuvers to deny people their rights. Fred Andrews would not donate anything more than a punch in the dick to the Salvation Army. Anyway, they find Fred's old guitar, which reminds Archie that he was bought a guitar a while back. This is a person who forgets that he owns an instrument. I guess it's possible. And he starts playing again. And frankly, that's about it, folks. Uh, the rest of the chapter is deeply uncomfortable, and I don't even... I don't have the stomach to do a play-by-play -play for it. Essentially, we get Archie's perspective on the start of his relationship with Miss Grundy, and since he's a goddamn child, all he has at this point is excitement about it, and it's super gross. And I don't know if it's just that we belabor it for too long or what, but it's just fucking yikes. Um, it's... It's horrible. Uh, the chapter ends with Archie and Grundy planning another illicit rendezvous in the woods. You know the one where they hear the gunshot. It's like a little cutesy text message exchange with emoji and stuff. And I get it. This is how it would actually happen. But like, oh my god. Like, I'm not happy to be back in this again. The show realized that they weren't going to be handling this issue with appropriate seriousness or weight. Because the show wasn't about this. And Grundy was unceremoniously jettisoned from the show very, very quickly. And, like, to go back and have part of this book be about that is a fucking bummer. But fortunately, Chapter 5 arrives to give us a reprieve. It's Betty, writing in her diary about the big break she finally gets at Hello Giggles. You know, she's been quite frustrated about not being allowed to actually write anything. 
Practically the entire office is out of town for 4th of July, but her boss is still in, though, and is hard at work, having an existential breakdown about what color of wallpaper to redo the office with. One of them she likes, but it seems too loud, maybe, for the vibe of the company, and plus some blog. Some blog said that woodwork was the new wallpaper. After all, thank you, book, for this. Anyway, her first story is, drumroll please, a micro-feature on temporary wallpaper that mimics exposed brick, woodwork, or concrete. Fascinating stuff. But it turns out this is a bit of a pointless, instantly averted swerve, because there's apparently an intern in the fashion world working at Vogue who is so influential and cool that they need to interview her. An intern is calling the shots in the world of New York fashions. Uh, And apparently it's imperative that the interview be conducted on or at or around or concerning the 4th of July party that this person is throwing. You guys, it's Veronica. Betty is supposed to interview Veronica for Hello Giggles. And how are they going to do this? They fucking meet one another for the first time in the show. So we know that this is either a retcon or the interview is not going to work. Like the interview is somehow not going to take place or there's going to be some amazing, oh yeah, I'm going to interview you, but I'm not going to say who I am and I will forget that I interviewed you by the time we meet each other. Like it's just, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Also, it's very important to mention that Kelly, Veronica's definitely not imaginary, for sure a real person friend, from Chapter 3, had a donut wall in the shape of an American flag at her last 4th of July party. I say this not because it was actually important in the context of Chapter 3, where, you'll note, that detail went unmentioned. But you see, Betty is aware of the fact that Hello Giggles got scooped by BuzzFeed concerning the reporting on said donut wall. The things that people eat at parties is publication-worthy. Maybe it is. The world is fucked up. But anyway, they can't let BuzzFeed fuck them over again, so this interview is super important, everyone. We then end the chapter with a text message exchange between Kevin and Moose. So, we're just abandoning... The POV. We're not doing a tiny chapter. We're not doing an in-between chapters, one-page thing. It's just, it's Betty's chapter. And if you recall, Betty's chapters are, and I cannot stress this enough, her fucking diary. Moose and Kevin's text message exchange (laughs) is in Betty's diary. What, is this a ghostwriter 90s uh, kids show Situation, here, haunted book, diary, Betty is an accomplished hacker and is stalking Kevin and Moose and drawing fan art of their text conversations at a time. Kevin wants to meet up with Moose, but Moose is busy with Midge, and maybe they can meet up after, and Kevin doesn't much care for it. Um, 
don't worry, folks. Plenty more, plenty more to come. There's another Veronica chapter in the next set, so look forward to that. Consider pledging to the Orpheus Protocol Patreon at patreon.com slash Orpheus Protocol, where if we get enough, maybe Quinn can come and see if I'm okay. I'm, uh, oof. I don't know what I need, but I need something after this. I'll see you next time. <laughs>